Welcome to the Vigor Life Podcast, a source of inspiration, lessons, stories, skill sets, mindsets, and strategies to invigorate and expand all areas of your life. Let's go. What's going on? Coach Luca back here with the Vigor Life Podcast. Feeling like I'm getting interrogated by the light again, but hey, you know, we're getting used to it. We're getting used to it. So today's show, uh, going to take a little bit of time. You know, sometimes I just take these, these like cuts where I might go from you know, doing something on coaching with, with, with Joe D. Then we go into leadership. Then I'm talking about sales and persuasion. And now we're going to kick into nutrition. I'm actually going to do a lot more of, 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 of just training and nutrition stuff as well. I mean, just getting a lot of, I would say, feedback and messages around it. Um, but today what I wanted to share was uh, two different things. Like one, I've been on, um, you know, Paleo AIP. And I'll explain what that is, what I'm doing, why I'm doing it, how it's going, uh, and everything around it. Uh, but it, it like, Let's just put it together. Like I, I've been doing Paleo IP now for three weeks, and I want to talk about the reason why I started, how it's going, and what changes have happened in my life, right? Because it, it has essentially nothing directly to do with. It's, it's very closely connected to me uh, going onto this program, um, and uh, and then I'm gonna, I want based on that, I want to talk about things around mindless eating or should mindfully eating slash mindless eating. It's like eight different insights that I want to share. But, you know, here's the kicker that you, um, uh, it, nothing happens in isolation. And so, uh, you know, when, when I did this, the first thing that happened is like, oh, are you paleo guy? You know, and I, and I think that most people hopefully know, and I've talked enough about it, that I'm a food agnostic, right? And, and that it, I'm not like a, I hate any type of diet, this, that, you know, well, I, I guess some I do. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of dumb shit out there. So I take that back. But from a perspective of, you know, low carb, high carb, low fat, paleo, keto, this, that, and the other, right? Like, I, I think that there's just principles that you want to look at that I've already shared in previous podcasts when it comes to nutrition that you want to follow. Uh, so this wasn't like a, hey, I'm a, you know, I'm a certain type of camp. This was more a, a, of a learning about myself, an experiment, um, you know, taking a bunch of people through uh, in the gym through it. And, and that's what I wanted to touch on. Actually, at first, it first came out because uh, my friend uh, Jay Ferruja is a big, I would say, has said a lot of great things about it, has, has done wonders for him and kind of went that route. Uh, and you know, kind of my, my first thing was like, ah, I don't want to do anything detox-ish, you know, because like that's what a lot of people do, like an elimination diets, detox stuff um, and the whole philosophy behind it. But then what happened is that like uh, a number of people from the gym have uh, autoimmune diseases like Crohn's. Um, other things that are flaring up. And I was like, you know what? This is a good time for me to test, like to do this. Uh, I've done elimination stuff before. I've never done paleo IP before. But so I was like, hey, let me let me do this and, you know, put a group together. We're doing a, I didn't want to call it a challenge. Uh, I just wanted to call it a incubator program. So we're going like for basically six weeks and it was all internal with, uh, with just our members and, and actually a lot of the coaches now are doing it as well. And I launched it and I said, hey, look, Look, guys, like, uh, you know, there's, there's other training stuff and recovery stuff that goes with it. We're tracking sleep. We're tracking some HRV. Um, but the main thing was like doing this paleo IP. And it was very like, hey, like I want to I want to preface. I did a kickoff and I said, I want to preface that this is like an experiment. Like look at it as an experiment, because guess what? What happens if you fail in an experiment? It's part of the experiment. Like you actually you actually plan to fail an experiment, right? Like you're experimenting to get some type of feedback and lessons from it. So I prefaced it. I said, what I want to make sure that like this doesn't become like, uh, you know, a challenge in a sense of let me try to lose 20 pounds. Right. I was like, let's look at behaviors. Let's learn from uh, let's learn from the different behaviors and, and what's happening as we make changes 
to our bodies, to our recovery, how you feel, how you perform. Um, and you know, we got over 20 people doing it, including, like I said, just, just, just inside of the gym, including our coaches. And, and it's been fantastic. Now, you know, let me kind of, uh, run back a little bit and, and just give a couple of uh, philosophies of like when we did our kickoff and started and what I, what I, um, what I did here, because first of all, you know, most of the time when people do paleo IP is like reset the immune system, you know, prevent autoimmune responses, um, yeah, reduce symptoms of autoimmune diseases, prevent occurrence of secondary autoimmune diseases. I mean, s significantly reduce inflammation, feel better, you know, bloating, things like that. And so, you know, once again, it, it was a lot of people like, yay, I'm definitely in for that. Summer's coming up, you know, <laughs> but, uh, you know, with that said, one of the rules that we made is what you see a lot of times when people do challenges or do elimination diets or anything, uh, they just start cutting stuff out. They actually don't track how much they're eating. So, uh, you know, example, like, let's say you're, you know, you're not, you're, you're just eating whatever, right? You don't know how much you're eating. You're eating whatever you, you, you want to lose some weight. You, you know that things are, you're not happy with where you, how you look, feel and perform. And you know, you got to change your nutrition, but you haven't tracked anything. And then you're like, Hey, I'm going to go on to, uh, you know, 30 day, 45 day elimination diet, this, that, the other. And it asks you to eliminate a lot of stuff. And I'll share with what, you know, what's in paleo IP, what you take out. Um, the tendency for most people is that once they start eliminating stuff, they don't track it either. So you get, of course, like you start, you know, let's say you take out a whole bunch of grains and you take out dairy and you take out sugars and alcohol. Automatically for most people, they're going to start eating a lot less calories, right? And they lose weight, you know, and of course too, like you take out carbs, you're going to, you're going to have uh, less kind of water retention and, and, and so on and so forth. So you're going to, you're going to lose weight, not just fat. You're just going to lose weight from things like that. So you get these faster results and you lose weight and you're like, oh, awesome. This is working. This is amazing. But you never really know where you're at. So let's say, you know, 30 days later, you're like, okay, cool, man. I've lost, you know, 10, 15 pounds or something like that. Right. And now you go on vacation or you, you know, you go to that, the thing that you wanted to go to, which was some dinner or you, you met friends from the past and you wanted to look good, whatever it may be. And then you kind of slowly just kind of go back to eating the way that you were. Right. And of course, what happens? Well, you gain all the weight back and sometimes more. Right. And I did a whole seminar on this that's on YouTube that you can watch on like the fat loss forever. It's about, you know, yo-yo dieting and how detrimental it is and the science behind it, what happens. And, you know, of course, now you get this frustration. Holy crap. Like I'm, I'm actually way more than when I started this elimination diet or this detox or whatever, you know, whatever the hell, like a person will call it what it is. We're not going to go into that. So one of the first things that, you know, when we did is, is kind of set the rules. So let's just first go you know, on the foods to avoid on AIP, right? Um, and of course, there's a longer, more detailed list, but this will kind of give you a good idea, right? So all grains such as oats, rice, wheat, barley, like all that stuff, okay? Uh, all dairy, all eggs, the eggs was a tough one for me. Um, legumes, so such as beans and peanuts, peanuts actually fall under legumes. Nightshade vegetables, so tomatoes, eggplants, peppers, potatoes, those are all cut out. All sugars, uh, including sugar sugar replacements, except for occasional use of uh, honey, uh, uh, you can use honey. Uh, you're taking out butter and ghee, all oils except avocado, coconut, olive. Uh, you're taking out food additives and you're taking out alcohol. Now this list list actually goes in more detail, but I didn't want to go like super into detail in the chart. Um, and like you know, you guys want to look it up, like literally Google a Paleo AIP. So that's why I didn't want to uh, go into it like crazy. Um, but the foods that you can eat 
on AIP are meats and fish, preferably non-factory raised. Um, and definitely like, you know, organ meats are organ meats and, and like bone broths and things like that are, are, are certainly one of the things you want to crank up from, you know, what you've been doing. Uh, all vegetables are good except for the nightshades that I mentioned. Uh, sweet potatoes are a go. Uh, fruit in smaller quantities. You kind of want to stay somewhere between, you know, 20 to 50 grams of fructose per day from, from, um, uh, from, from fruit, even though like, you know, if you do some more, some days and less, some days and it levels out, it's fine. Coconut milk and coconut milk products. Uh, so coconut milk, kefir, coconut milk, uh, yogurt, coconut milk, and then avocado, olive, and coconut oil. Uh, so there's no nuts on this, by the way, no nuts, right? But avocado, olive oil, and coconut oil, uh, dairy-free fermented foods, such as kombucha, kefir made with coconut milk, sauerkraut, kimchi, which are all great, like great. And most people should crank up on anyways. Then honey or maple syrup. But like I said, you know, not like sometimes when you say like you can do those, people just crank it up and go like, awesome, I can do that. Like you want to do it in smaller quantities. Um, fresh non-seed herbs such as basil, mint, and oregano are fine. Green tea and non-seed herbal teas, um, bone broth, and vinegars such as apple cider and balsamic. Those are all, those are good to go. So, um, th you know, th that's like what you can um, can and cannot do on paleo IP. But one of the things that we did is, you know, we said, hey, look, but here's, you know, depending on your goals, and we kind of in, in that kickoff, like sat down and started talking about, uh, you know, calories and, and go like, listen, guys, you know, whatever your goal is. So for some people, it might be maintenance. For some people, it might be, you know, losing weight and losing body fat. For some, uh, we got a couple that are gaining weight, like only a couple out of those 20 that want to put on some muscle, you know, and, and we started going over the calorie part of it, right? Like, hey, look, here's kind of where you should be. And we calculated that. And for people to start tracking. Now, here's why, right? Because what happens with paleo IP is that you go for, you know, three weeks, four weeks, you know, you, you could go longer too, but around like the, the month mark, you start reintroducing foods back in. And I've heard, you know, this is very similar to elimination diet stuff that you may have heard in the past. So you start adding foods back in to see how you respond to them. You know, how, how does it, uh, how, I say, how does it, uh, you know, how does it feel? Do you get just bloated. And remember, just getting bloated from foods is not a horrible thing. Like you guys can read up more on it. Actually, I'll put some, I'll put some research in the, in the show notes. Um, when people are like, oh, I ate this, I got bloated. So I, bloating is somewhat a natural reaction to certain foods. So just, you know, just keep that in mind. But just feeling crappier and, you know, having certain responses and especially people that have autoimmune responses that flare up a lot more, like you, you'll pay attention, right? Uh, do you get congestion? Do you feel more tired? Is your energy off whack? You know, you're not sleeping as good. So like, for instance, after the 30 days, the first thing I'll probably add back in is, is eggs. Cause I love eggs. Damn it. <laughs> That's been the hardest thing for, but then, you know, like, let's say you go for four or five days, six days, and that feels fine. Okay. Then you add another thing, right? So that's the process that you, you take when you do, uh, things like this, the paleo IP. And so what we did, we just, we just calculated calories so that everybody's tracking where they're at. And this is why I said, call it an experiment. So they're learning a lot about themselves. Um, as far as, as far as like where they're at, because of course, now you have, now you start eating these foods that are a lot more filling, you know, high nutritional value, lowering, like they're not as calorically dense, right? Like if you, I don't know, a whole bag of cauliflower rice has like 30, 40 calories, you know, where before maybe you were eating, uh, you know, fried rice, right? Like that was 500 calories, like 10 times more, right? So, um, you know, so now, but, but you feel more full. So what, what you have to do is like, see where you're actually at and, also, when you start reintroducing foods back in, we could track and go like, okay, cool. Let's see you bring back rice or you bring back, you know, potatoes. Um, like you still want to make sure that your calories are in check. 
right? And you and it's really hard to do that if, especially on stuff like elimination stuff, right? Because you don't know where you were at, and then you cut a bunch of stuff out, and you probably are way under. You don't know where you're at, and then you introduce stuff back in, and so you're just kind of guessing all the time, right? Um, and and yes, like for instance, you know, you guys have probably heard me that like you don't have to only track calories, which I absolutely agree with, but like there's different ways to track how much you're eating. But in some way or another, especially when you're trying to make a change, you got to track in some way or another. That could be pictures. That could be, like I said, journaling. It could be MyFitnessPal. It could be a lot of different stuff. But, you know, in this case, I was like, look, we got to pay attention to this because we're making a pretty, pretty drastic shift in the way you eat. You're going to be it's like an experiment that was going to go for six weeks. You're going to learn a lot, but we're going to know where you're at. And exactly what I, you know, predicted happened in week one, which is, most people are like, holy crap, I'm so full and I'm, you know, 500 calories away from my goal, right? And that was a learning experience, you know? So in a group, I'll ask like, what are you guys learning from this? It's like, man, like the type of foods that we're eating, like it, how much how much hungrier I was, even though I was eating all these, you know, processed foods or this certain food or that food or whatever it may be, right? Whereas now I switched the foods up and I'm like, holy crap, how do I get the extra calories in? so that I'm not under eating, right? And that's exactly what happens with a lot of people when they do these crazy elimination diets, right? Uh, when I say crazy elimination diets while I'm talking about doing it, but notice how there's more structure and rules and understanding of the, the, the why, you know, what and then how, right? So, so, so think about that and like that's important. Like I feel it's really important if you do go that route that, you know, you are tracking uh, how much you're eating on both counts. Now, let, let me talk a little bit about personally what happened for me, okay, uh, before I go into some uh, some insights that will connect well to like this whole uh, kind of mindless eating, uh, you know, thought process and, 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 and research that I wanted to, to dig into a little bit. So first of all, you know, I kind of like my philosophy was like, hey, I, I want to, first of all, like we're going to do this group, like, hey, I, I have to do it as well. It's, it's learning for me. Um, I, I want to be accountable. Like I want to lead by example, being a coach, also doing it, making the changes that are harder. And so, uh, you know, uh, and not just be like coaching, but not really going through that whole process. And it's been fantastic, like for the whole group, like everybody's doing great. Um, but in my mind, I was like, cool, I'll do this for 30 days, maybe introduce some stuff and kind of go back to what I was doing. Cause I was eating pretty healthy. Right. Like, uh, I mean, I, I can honestly say that my, my nutrition is pretty good, but you know, wait till we get some of the insights that I had from this. Okay. So first thing that happens, I'm like, holy crap, I got to take a lot of stuff out that I usually eat. So I'm going to have to be cooking at home for sure. Now I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a, a fact that I, for the last three years, have cooked very little for myself. Okay. Um, ate out a lot, ate, you know, ate very in line with my goals, uh, and, you know, kept a pretty damn low body fat percentage, stayed in shape, all that good stuff. Uh, but, but we'll, we'll touch on like the whole, you know, cooking for yourself part in a little bit. So, you know, I, I end up going like, look, I usually train late, work late, you know, working a lot, um, somewhat of a workaholic. And, but now I got to start cooking. So I can't be coming home as late, right? I'm gonna have to go shopping. I'm gonna have to cook. Um, you know, I'm gonna have to have all this stuff prepped because it's, cause it's like I said, it's, it's, I have a certain patterns, right? Of the snacks that I eat throughout the day, the foods that I eat, where I eat them. So I have to like really prepare from that. And I did. And so I realized it's like, well, listen, if I'm, if I'm going to, you know, come home earlier and like, and, and cook earlier, well then like, there's no way I'm going to train at like 8 PM or later, right. Which is what happens sometimes. And I've been doing it just, just, you know, I've been training really late for a long time, like 13, 14 years. Cause I've had a crew of people I train with, um, you know, like we had our own little crew. And so, I mean, it was decently big actually. 
And as the years go by, you know, it's like people are moving different places, families, this, that, the other. And for the last year, I found myself like many a days, like training by myself at like, you know, 8.39 PM after a 14 hour day. And, you know, I, the Luca madness, I, I still knock it out because uh, of the discipline of my training. But it takes a lot more willpower. I get home later. We usually go eat out, you know, like eat in line with my goals, but eat out somewhere nonetheless, right? Spending more money than I need to, yada, yada, like to all these, I would say, effects of it. So I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to start training earlier in the day, like either 10 a.m. or like 2, 3 p.m. at the latest. So I, ha so I have to shift these things around to make this work. Otherwise, it's not going to work, okay? So now, all of a sudden, you know, it, once again, like did, what I just mentioned is like massive, okay? It's a crucial shift because to notice I committed to this program to people like I, I want to, I don't want to let down. So it's important leverage in the people you don't want to let down. I want to lead by example, right? Because that's part of my, my identity, my values. And so I start switching my day around, right? And at the end of week one, I'm like, holy crap. Like not, not necessarily even the, the food, right? I'm, I'm starting to feel a difference, but like, Guess what's happening? I'm coming home early. I'm less stressed out. Like I'm, I'm getting the work done earlier. I'm getting my training session in earlier. I'm shifting some stuff around and I'm done way earlier and I'm less stressed. Wow. Okay, cool. Now I'm making my own food at home. I'm like, hey, like I feel good about it, right? It's an accomplishment. For me, it is definitely like, hey, I'm consistently every night cooking at home. Damn, this feels good. I'm saving money because I'm going to the store. I'm eating better food because no matter what, when you go to a restaurant, like even if it's healthy food and it's in line with your goals, you don't know what gets put in it. Right. And if you watch like Michael Pollan talked about this, if basically if may, most people cooked for themselves most of the time, like, man, we'd have a lot less obesity, period. Right. And so and, and, and people being overweight. So this shift starts happening. And I'm like, so now all of a sudden, like I'm, I'm going to sleep earlier, too, and I'm sleeping better. And I've, I've talked about fixing my sleep, which I've done a good job with. But now it's like I'm getting the best sleep I've had in a long time. Right. And this is like only going one, you know, going into week two. Now I'm having these realizations. And now I'm starting to shift from this whole like, hmm, you know, maybe, maybe like as I start reintroducing foods, I kind of meet somewhere in the middle between how I was eating and how I'm eating now. Because the question comes up like, oh, so you're just going to eat paleo AIP forever? It's like, no, that's that that wouldn't be like, like that wouldn't be realistic, number one. And I am a foodie. I like enjoy food. I like going out to eat. Right. But once again, here's what I want to bring to light. OK, as I'm explaining, because I wanted to go through my experience first. And the lessons that, that, I, that I learned is, you know, I started going like, hey, I'm just going to go back to where I was because I felt okay. But now I have contrast. Okay, now I have contrast. Okay, and what I mean by contrast is like, I know how I felt and I know how I feel now. And I'm like, shit, I like how I feel now, right? So, and I, I know that a lot of the changes of how I feel is also changing my day around. Okay, I want to I point that out. There's numbers of factors that have happened for me taking this on. That's making my, my uh, I would say, recovery better, just my life better. And so, you know, I start thinking about that. And I go, hmm, like, okay, like, where, where do we find that medium? Because I, I, I do believe in this whole, uh, you know, it, like, being flexible. I don't want to say flexible diet, but just, you know, that 90-10 rule. I'm still a huge fan of the 90-10 rule or the 80-20 or the 85-15, you know, depending on where you want to be in a spectrum of, of health. That means... They're like, hey, if 85, 90% of the time you eat completely in line with your goals, 10 to 15% of the time, maybe even 20% of the time, you can veer off and, and eat, you know, processed food and desserts and this, that, and the other, you know. And, and I, I still strongly believe in that. I just think that, like, you know, we're always, we're on a spectrum of health, okay? 
So if on one side you have death, on the other side you have optimal health, we're all somewhere in between here. And, you know, the goal is to just push that dial towards that optimal health. And depending on, like, what you want to invest into that, because let, let's be real, like, you know, if you want to be 7 to 8%, you know, body fat, for most people, the investment is too big, right? Like, because now you have to cut out, like, eating out with friends and doing this and doing that, and you're just not willing to give that up. And that's cool. That's fine, right? Everybody's somewhere on the spectrum. And I think, like, for me, like, I'm like, hey, you know what? I want to feel better. I want to push that down more towards the optimal health because long-term, I want to be able to train hard and, and, and be athletic and, and, and look good and feel good and especially have more durability, right? Like uh, when I'm 60, when I'm 70, like I want to feel like that and look like that, right? And I'm thinking about that now that maybe, you know, when I was in my 20s and, and, and early 30s, you know, doing professional sports and training at like, you know, crazy kind of Olympian type levels, uh, you know, you didn't think about that because all I thought about was like being the greatest, being the greatest in, in my sport, you know, making it to the NBA, doing this, that, and the other. And so, you know, obviously that that focus shifts, but the the whole point of it is like, you know, kind of like the awareness. And, and, and it's like, this is the, the result that I wanted to get from that group is happening. The people are becoming so aware of how things affect them, how they're eating, how much they're snacking, right? It, it's like, there's, there's, there's these revelations of like, holy crap, like I didn't know I'm going to miss this so much. Holy crap. I didn't think I would even, I thought I was going to miss this a ton, but I really don't, right? We're just all stuck in our own patterns. And, and I, and I love the idea of contrast. And I say, look, one of the things that would wake people up sometimes, right? I, I talk about sedation, sedation. I've, and I've talked about it in my own life, right? Where I thought everything was okay, but I was just sedating with work or sedating with training. And, and like, there was a part of my life where I was sedating, you know, sedating and like partying a lot and, and, and doing, you know, drugs. Like, and I share that and I say that like, that was trying to avoid the reality, right? And then sometimes stuff comes and punches you in the face, you know, and that might be, a, um, like I said, an injury, a, a sickness, a a death in your family, a, a breakup, a divorce, you know, and that's the slap in the face. Well, like, man, you know what I think would be one of the greatest tools to make people wake up is, let's say somebody's, you know, uh, obese or overweight, and it's like, for 24 hours, you could show them, make them feel, and this goes for me too. When I say this, like, I, I, I say this with zero judgment, because I, like, I would love that in my life in certain areas, and, and hey, sometimes I experience it, right? Like where for 24 hours, it's like, hey, here's the, you know, here's the most optimal or like, you know, where you're healthy, you're lean, you're, uh, you're performing better, you're thinking better, you got this energy and you get to experience that for 24 hours. And then, and then you get, you'll go, go back to the body that you have now because it would create such a contrast that you'd be like, holy shit. I felt so, that's what life is like being like that. I want that wow, like how much better is my relationship with my kids, with my, with my wife, with how much more energy do I have at work? How much better do I perform? I'm happier. Like I can do stuff all day long. I'm, I'm more clear-minded and clear-focused, right? Like you have to feel it and experience it and then go back to where you are and you're like, oh shit, whoa, I hate, whoa, I got to get out of this place, right? Because sometimes we're sedated in a sense of like, and sometimes we sedate with food. Sometimes we sedate with social media. Sometimes we sedate with partying, sex, drugs, Rock and roll, damn it. Like, you know what I mean? But it's, the point is like that that's what happens and there has to be, you know, I, I, I hope and wish that like there's not this really, I would say painful, uh, tragic wake up call that you get to where you're like, whoa, I need to change my life, right? But, um, and like I said, like I say that with, with compassion because like that's what happened in my life. It's just in a different area. For me, it was, uh, like I said, my, my marriage, you know what I mean? And like getting divorced and it was just, it was holy shit moments, right? Like, 
um, things that I brought on on myself completely because I was sedating. So look, I'm not here judging at all. Everybody's got their own thing in their own area. And so like this, like this experiment has created some contrast in my life where, you know, like I said, four weeks ago, like, oh man, like I'm healthy, man. Like I, you know, I'm, everything's great. Um, and maybe it, it was good, right? But now I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. There's a whole different level of how I can feel. And look, I changed my days around. I'm, a, I'm feeling happier, more productive. I'm not as smoked, this, that, and the other. Powerful, okay? Powerful. And so this is where like, you know, when people say, am I against challenges and stuff? It's all about the frame of how you create it. I feel like creating experiments with people you care about to, to, to create this insight of like, whoa, this is where my life could be like. Right, we do it in business, like we do, you know, like I said with with my business coaching, where, uh, you know, me and Krebs are actually working on something now, uh, like the Vigor Incubator business program for ninety days, where in ninety days, like you make, a, you know, the progress that you'd make in legitimately like a year, year and a half, because you get zoned in and fired up, and then in those ninety days, you go like, holy shit, there's a life where I can operate like this, I can operate in my business and my life in this way. Whoa, I've proven it to myself. And like, here I was, now I got this contrast. What if, what if like you started like implementing this into your regular day and your week and your month, right? It changes your life. It's life-changing stuff, right? Simple, but certainly not easy, right? Certainly not easy, right? Like, and, and once again, I, I find myself like, this is majority of what, I mean, like pretty much my life is a lot of like coaching in, in different sectors. And I have blind spots all the time, which is why I have coaches in different areas, right? Different areas of my life, I have coaches, multiple different areas. Right. And I also do stuff with, with our members. And I'm like, hey, look, I'm gonna be, I'm I'm in here with you doing it. Like you'll see me training, you'll see me, you know, suffering uh every day you come into the gym with with our people, you know, like, but I so I hopefully there's a lot of lessons being shared here. Uh, because I didn't know what I didn't know, right? You're so patterned, we have these habit loops and and you're like, Oh, I, I know what I'm doing, but you're not. There's so much mindless stuff going on. There's so much mindless stuff going on in your day. That is, you know, uh, I would say that, four, that those four boxes we talk about unconscious incompetence, right? Unconscious incompetence, like stuff that you're doing bad that you don't even know. You know, you're not even aware of it, right? You're not aware of it at all, right? And then from unconscious incompetence, you go to conscious incompetence. Like, holy shit, I'm aware of it, but I'm still doing it bad, right? From there, you go to conscious competence. It's like now you're doing things right, but you have to really think about it. Like you, you still need a lot of work to be present, to be conscious, to be aware, and then the last phase is, you know, unconscious competence. That's where you do great shit and you just do it like that's your habit. It's, it's who you are. It's who you become, right? And, and most people, like I said, and we're always in some type of loop of unawareness that, that we have to like bring to our attention. And so with this, my, like I wanted to flip from, if you got, uh, you know, you got, guys got any more questions uh, around, like I said, paleo IP and everything else. Cause I, I wanted to share my lessons rather than go uh, super deep into this stuff. Uh, but you know, Jay, Jay Farouge, I'll even put a link to one of his podcasts where he talks specifically more about paleo IP and the questions around it. Um, but like I said, it's not rocket science. Like honestly, uh, you know, the harder stuff is it, you could Google uh, paleo IP and like literally in like 10 minutes, you'll be like, okay, cool. Um, it's, it's the structuring it and like how to actually implement it into your days uh, and stick to it and learn from it the right way and not be stressed out and like take it more as an experiment rather than a challenge, uh, not try to have these big contrasts between calories, some of the things that I've talked about. And, uh, and like I said, one of the things we also did inside of the group was track and sleep, you know, cause we, I, I wanted to be like, Hey, this is where your sleep is right now. What's your HRV and your resting heart rate in the morning. Let's have some tracking. Um, because then I also uh, created a conditioning that's 
built around how tired people are and training around how, how tired people are. So if somebody smoked, they're not going to come in and do like a, a, a team training. They might do some aerobic power work. So, so, so cardio in 130 to 150 beat per minute um, area and actually get some recovery, mobility circuits, you know, not going over 150 beats a minute. So, um, you know, that was one of the things that uh, kind of built in because I wanted to show like guys, like it's a puzzle piece, you know, like there's a lot of things that are going into this. And for many people, it was like, holy shit, my sleep is bad, right? And then I'll, I'll give some research and go like, guys, this is like, look, if your sleep is like this, here's how this is affecting you in your life. And that created so much awareness, like, whoa, I got to fix this, right? That's why, I mean, that's why coaches are there, right? That's why groups are there to keep you accountable. That's why environments shape behaviors and shape people. And that's why it's so important for you to surround yourself with the right environment, right? It's, oh my, it's one of the most important things. And okay, so I, I wanted to lead this into the insights because um, I've talked about a little bit of this before, but I'm gonna give you eight key insights when it comes to, like, and this is because we're talking mostly about the eating and nutrition, we we're talking about lifestyle habits, but, and this is gonna kind of tie in, um, you know, I, I wanna talk about the mindless eating and the insights of what happens there, right? The science behind it, the research behind it. And once again, you could probably take this into a lot of areas, but we're going to focus on, you know, kind of on weight loss, fat loss, body re recomposition, just improving your health through nutrition and, and fitness. So key insight number one is that, that those who want to lose weight should try to recognize and change habits of mindless eating. And so notice how like I ended on that note to go into insight number one, because this is so powerful. Right? The reasons for overeating are often beneath conscious awareness. The so-called mindless margin, guys, have you ever heard of mindless margin? Mindless margin is like the stuff that you don't really think about, like the, the, the snack in here, a little bit of there, the, you know, oh, like this is one, this is one scoop of peanut butter, but really it's two, like not really being good at recognizing um, um, I'll say portion sizes and things like that. That's the mindless margin. It can go either way, right? But the so-called mindless margin consists of extra calories that could be painlessly cut out presents an opportunity for most dieters who don't want to stop eating their favorite foods. So weight loss won't be dramatic, but it will happen over time. And this is what we tend to promote. I don't think there's anything wrong with, with, with faster weight loss, especially when somebody has a lot of weight to lose. But once again, it's the approach, right? It's the approach. Most people take the, the wrong approach. They try to do too much too fast, fall off the bandwagon, beat themselves up and come back up. And you know, I've shared Atomic Habits is one of my favorite habits. It is my favorite habit book probably of all time currently. And I've read every, like pretty much every habit book um, there is. But, you know, James Clear explores the idea that tiny adjustments to routine can, can ignite dramatic transformation. And, you know, I've been a big fan of this for a long time. Um, and, you know, and, and maybe you're looking at it going like, hey, Luca, but what about, you know, what about like the, the six-week experiment that you guys are doing? Well, that stuff is going to create awareness and awareness is going to create like small changes that people create. But it's like the rule of, you know, if you improve each, like I tell this to, to um, this is a philosophy I have around. I'm going to give you a business example that's going to give you such a, a I, I feel like a clear insight on this. If you, if you increase, uh, improve uh, by 10% in different areas of your business, you're going to improve way more than 10% altogether. So imagine that like, Hey, you're currently getting 20 leads per month and you increase that by, by uh, 10%. Now you're getting 22 leads a month. And, you know, instead of 50%, if uh, 50% of people showing up, you improve that by 10%. So now 60% of people show up. So, you know, before you had 10 people showing up, now you have 60% of, uh, of 22, which is uh, over 13, 
right? So now you have three more leads showing up. That's a 30% increase. And, and let's say you converted, so you sold uh, 50% of those, but now you improve that to 60%. So now, you know, at the beginning you were selling five, right? Cause you sold five out of 10, but now you're selling six, 60% out of 13.2. So calculate that you end up selling like seven points, something close to eight. So you've, you've increased eight, like eight sales instead of five. That's a 60% increase, right? Um, over even because you improved by 10% in each area. You see what I'm saying? So this is, this is, this is my goal with things like experiments where people improve their sleep a little bit because they became aware of it. And then they improve their nutrition and play size a little bit, but their result is a, a more than a 10% increase, right? So that, that I, I wanted to share that because I, I feel like it's very, very powerful looking at it that way. But, you know, small things can ignite dramatic transformation, but the, whether they're good or bad habits often unfold beneath notice because, um, because success or failure takes a long time to emerge, right? And like most people, it's not like you gain like 20 pounds like that, right? It's like for most people, it's a slow process. Like over the course of year, like, holy crap, like I gained eight pounds, I gained 12 pounds, I gained 15 pounds, right? Because it's these little mindless margins that add up, right? People tend to pay more attention to immediate feedback. Like that, that's the, remember it's the, 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 the one click buy on Amazon to find out right away the detox, right? Like eating a bag of potato chips once or twice a week may not seem like a big deal in the moment because the weight gain cause cause stacks up slowly over time, right? No one gains or loses 20 pounds overnight unless you're doing, you know, cuts for your professional fighter or, you know, bodybuilding or stuff like that. But like for, for, for the most people, like that's not what happens. So a chip eating habit isn't recognized as having any meaningful impact, especially like you chips twice a week, like a month from now, like maybe you gain no weight or half a pound. Like it's barely recognizable, right? But over the year, now you gain 10 pounds, right? Similarly, like a person who gives up chips and doesn't lose weight right away may feel discouraged because it, you know, it, it, you'd be like, oh, well, I, I cut it out. Like two weeks later, I haven't lost like five pounds, right? And so because you feel discouraged, you, you, you start indulging again because like, ah, I'm not seeing the results that I want to. Right, but that's the whole point of that. The atomic habit is so small that it doesn't require major amounts of patience and willpower to maintain it. And that's where the power is behind it. It doesn't take a lot of patience and willpower to maintain it. And over time, it compounds. Right, so many people falsely believe that for a good habit to inspire positive life change, it must be enormously difficult. But in fact, the opposite is true. Right, a good habit should be easy to implement. Otherwise, it's not likely to stick. And and it's not a good goal, like pretty much for pretty much that's what goes for just about everybody. You know, somebody goes like, oh, Luca, well, you know, you can take on a bunch of huge things. I'm like, no, like same thing. Like I'm, I'm, I'm doing the same thing when it comes to my, you know, cleaning my, my place out. Like it, same thing. I've, I, I've had a tough time with, I would say, um, keeping things organized at home. Right. And now I'm doing atomic habits to get that taken care of. Okay. So it, it goes, it goes for anybody. Um, a good habit. And the thing is a good habit should be satisfying and even enjoyable if, if possible by the same token, when trying to break a bad habit, one should look for ways to make the habit less attractive, less satisfying, or more difficult. And I'm going to do a whole show on, I, I like atomic habits and how they apply in the training, in, in nutrition training, how to apply to other areas of your life, like business, right? Because once again, you, if you make a, a, a good habit, like enjoying and satisfying, like you're going to want to repeat it. Right. But if and make a bad habit less attractive, less satisfying, more difficult. And I've given the example of more difficult, right? Like if you love, you know, you love uh, ice cream 
and you have it in your fridge. I mean, like it, it's five steps for you to go to the fridge and watch Game of Thrones and, and eat your ice cream. But if you don't have it at home, now you got to go to the store. Now you may, you know, like I said, hey, you can still get your ice cream, but now you got to drive 20 minutes to the store, go pick it up, drive. Like it's going to take you 45, 50 minutes, whatever, however long to go to the store and get that. Now you're like, well, shit, I don't want to do all that. That's a long time to do it. So I'm, you know, so it's let, it becomes more difficult so you don't do it, right? And, uh, you know, so it, like once again, if it's immediately available, it's easy to do, right? And and you want to avoid that. And that's just an example. And I've, I've, I've shared this stuff uh, before about that. Inside number two is decisions related to eating aren't necessarily rational. I mean, like we're very irrational human beings. Um, and so I would, I would have you consider reading any book on how irrational we are. Uh, man, I can't, I can't, I'm, I'm trying to think about that book that, that, that really influenced me, but I can't remember the title because I read it years ago now, uh, but I'll put it in the show notes. Um, but think about this. Humans are often emotional and irrational eaters, right? Most of us believe that what we eat and how much we relate to how hungry we are or how good something tastes. That's what we believe. In fact, other seemingly arbitrary variables matter more. So you think that that's what, what is what's driving you, but this is actually what matters more. For example, for some eaters, chicken Parmesan tastes more delicious if the name of the dish is changed to home-style chicken Parmesan. Think about that. Just making home-style in front of it makes people more likely to eat it and is going to be more attracted to them. Or the same bottle of wine tastes better if the labels say that it was made in France rather than Detroit. This is how our brains operate, right? In one study, this is crazy. In one study, researchers found that something as simple as cutlery can provide what they call mental seasoning for a meal. So a meal that's served with plastic forks, spoons, and knives tastes less delicious to most people than a, a meal that's served with fine silverware. So literally, you could have the same meal, put people into two different places and go like, hey, here's this amazing steak from the best restaurant in the world, but you give them plastic forks to eat it, and it's going to taste different to them than if you're in a different location eating with cut, you know, really nice knives and, and, and forks um, eating the same meal, which is crazy, right? Crazy, right? Uh, so wine tastes better and seems more expensive when it's served in a crystal glass as opposed to a plastic cup. Dinner served on a heavy plate will taste better than a lightweight plastic platter. The taste of plastic or metal cannot account for discrepancy, scientists, uh, uh, the, the scientists say. Instead, the difference can be attributed to mental association. So it's like basically how we associate. So we might associate Oh, plastic, you know, plastic knives. Well, that's like some, you know, poor, like I would say, uh, food that somebody can't afford better food. So this food isn't as good, right? Because I got to eat with forks and knives and I'm eating it kind of like in a home setting. So it's not as good. But you have that mental association and it drives and affects how you basically taste the food and how you feel about it. Right? So people need to think that, uh, uh, need to think that fancy food is served with real silverware. For similar reasons, water will seem colder when drunk from a blue colored, gla colored glass simply because we associate the color blue with cold. How crazy is that? Right? How crazy is that? Some of the associations that research, researchers uncovered were less obvious. For example, the color of a mug can alter how sweet a cup of, of hot chocolate tastes. So just like I wanted to bring this up because once again, awareness, right? Like you would think that like, something like, oh, well, I'm hungry and that's why I'm eating or like this tastes or I'm full because of this. But so many different reasons tend to be uh, what's influencing us. And once again, like you don't know what you don't know. So awareness is the first step into changing something because now you can become aware of it. And I talked this in a podcast previously about persuasion, like knowing when you're being persuaded, like you can notice it 
once you understand it, right? When you we can you can spot that you're being persuaded. Guess what? It's going to be easier for you to be like, oh, hold up, I see what's going on here. I'm not going to fall for this. So it's important for you to know that. And so you know, this kind of goes back to habits got to be recognized before they can be tweaked, right? Bad habits often unfold far beneath the level of conscious choice. Since people aren't necessarily aware of their bad habits, those habits must be recognized at the conscious level before change can occur. So going back to that unconscious incompetence, moving it to conscious incompetence. Still, like step one, remember, awareness precedes change and assessment precedes awareness, right? That's why also in a group of what we're doing paleo IIP, I wanted people to track stuff. I wanted them to see what's going on. So researchers who study habit formation describe habits as a three-part loop that consists of a cue, routine, and reward. So I've talked about this, you know, it's, it's heavily like it started with um, uh, the, man, I, I, I forgot the book, but it's, um, try to take a second to, to, to conjure it up. I mean, obviously it's, it's talked about in, in uh, the Atomic Habits, but uh, I, I, it will come to me, but it was, it was started by another book that's, that's really well known. I just can't think of right now. Um, and this might be because I'm drugged up in my right side of the face. Uh, coming from a dentist, having a crown, uh, which is a story for another day. But um, the, the point of it is like, we know that whole thing, right? The routine. Um, okay. So let's go back. The cue is the trigger, right? So like a smell of a warm cookie at a bakery, you go past the bakery, you smell a warm cookie, bam, that's the, that becomes the cue and that's the trigger, right? And the routine is a behavior like buying a cookie from the baby, uh, from the baker on the way home from yoga class, right? The reward is the taste of the cookie and the sugar rush it triggers. And then of course, fulfillment, happiness. Oh man. Right. So in a hypothetical example, a man passes the bakery for the first time on the way home from yoga on Saturday. He makes a series, a series of decisions, including which route to take and whether to buy a cookie. Perhaps he consciously decides to go through the same process for another week or two. Right. Sometime uh, along the way, however, the decision to walk by the bakery and buy the cookie ceases to be conscious, right? Now it becomes unconscious. Okay. The habit has been established and he'll go through the motions without giving them any thought to change the habit. He must find a way to engage attention, right? So this is the thing, like how many things in your life? And, and it was for me too. Remember, like I just shared about how I was doing things a certain way and going like, nah, man, I'm fine. Like my, my, you know, my day is fine. My routine's fine. Um, I'm doing good. Right. And you know, maybe it's good for, for, for purposes of many people, but like, could I improve it for myself and how much better can I make it? But first there had to be awareness and like going through this process of, of AIP just created awareness for me in a lot of ways, right? So, uh, you know, so how do you engage attention? Like first you have to first, like be like, hold on, I'm going by this store every day and I'm buying this cookie. Damn, now I'm aware of it. So now you perhaps, you know, you take a different route home from yoga class, avoid the bakery altogether, or you take the same route, but make the choice to stop somewhere else for a coffee instead, or maybe a smoothie. Maybe there's a smoothie place. Uh, there's a much better fit, right? That you come from yoga, you have a protein smoothie, uh, fills you up, you don't go and get the cookie, right? Habits form because the human brain is efficient. So it, ha it creates three, this three-part loop as a shortcut to help re uh, reserve mental energy. It's, it's the same reason why when you, know, you learn to brush your teeth, now you don't have to think about it. When you started driving a car, you had to think about all these things when you were driving a car. Man, now you can drive a car like listening to podcasts, eating food, you know, having a conversation with somebody, it's so mindless because you created that loop and it's just automatic and it goes and lives in another part of the brain, right? It's not in your, in your front prefrontal cortex. It's not in your conscious mind because your brain can only process so much. So once you re repeat a process, 
though that habit loop that we talked about, right? Uh, the the trigger, the, the cue to trigger the behavior. And, you know, once that happens often enough, it goes put another part of the brain where you don't have to consciously think about it. So there's a lot of stuff in your in your in your life that's like that, right? So to uncover mindless eating habits, one must look for habit loops and determine some way to break the cycle. Right? So what is what is the cue, right? Like the smell of a warm cookie. What else is there? Hey, I get stressed, I drink wine. Uh, hey, I get in an argument, um, I go smoke a cigarette. You know what I mean? Like what what is the thing that drives those uh, the those behaviors because that's very important. Key, key insight number four is that people tend to eat more when they're distracted, right? Uh, family share stories over a holiday they meal. A computer grabs a croissant on a drive to work. A college student eats a bowl of soup or ramen, you know, while reading or watching TV. And, and honestly, most people like watch TV when they eat, which is, which is one thing that I've learned, uh, you know, that in Europe and especially where I'm coming from, Slovenia, like we never do that. It's just, you know, growing up still to this day. We sit down together, we, we break bread, we talk, you know, meals are longer. Um, it's a lot more of a social event versus, you know, mindlessly eating while watching TV. But I'll, I'll come back to that because this is an important one, okay? Distractions while eating are common and they can cause people to slowly gain weight over the long term. People who multitask while they eat or even people who become too absorbed in conversation tend to meet more than people who focus on a meal. Right? So that's, that's huge because like a lot of the people when, when we coach them with nutrition, it ends up coming up that like every meal that they eat is is either working at a computer, driving towards work, uh, you know, quickly 10 minute like lunch break, break with a friend and dinner might be like watching TV with the family. Like literally every single meal kind of falls in that category of of what is contributing to mindless eating and, and bumping up those calories. Now, this is an older study, but in 2011, the United States Department of Agriculture estimated that most Americans spend two and a half hours a day eating. More than half of the time, these eaters were also doing something else, such as working, talking on the phone, or talking on the phone, watching TV, or something else. Now, this is this is like 2011. Um, I'm gonna go back and like put a put a study in the notes uh, if I find it. But I guarantee you, like in 2018, you know, 17, 18, 19, uh, there's a study that that number is higher, meaning higher, way higher percentage of your eating time is spent doing something else. And such mindless eating may be fueling the U.S. obesity crisis, right? It's definitely one of the things that contributes. So the practice of mindful eating is, is uh, one possible method to counteract overeating, right? This strategy extends the practice of mindfulness, which is a deep focus on inhabiting the present moment to mealtimes. Uh, so essentially, mindful eaters look inward to examine their emotions and physical sensations they experience as they munch. You know, part of like, uh, I would say a couple of the PN habits that associate with that are, you know, eat to 80% full, um, you know, take, put the fork down between, chew through all your food between the next bite, take 15 minutes to eat, right? Set a timer. Did you, did it take you at least 15 minutes? Just timing that will make a huge difference. You know, how we said you can track multiple things. Well, you can track how long it takes you to eat. And let's say you weren't even tracking calories. And at the beginning, all you, you timed your meals and you you added like a couple of minutes to the, to every meal. You'd see success because, Basically, your satiety hormones would kick in and like basically as you ate longer, like you would actually feel full faster. If you eat too fast, like there's a delay in your satiety and it's, you know, you can overeat and then later on like, oh, I'm stuffed, right? So that could be one of the things that you can look at. Um, so mindful eating includes the entire process of planning, shopping and eating. So I, I want to, like, there's a process of while I'm eating, but you know, one of the things that happened 
as far as me being more mindful is like going to prep because I'm like, oh, these are the foods that I can eat. These are the foods I can't eat. So I had to go to the store. I had to plan because I'm like, well, listen, if I don't plan, I'm th- I'm changing my 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 day, my, my my schedule, which has been similar for years, and I have to loop it around. So I had to be mindful of the planning and and, and the shopping, uh, and when I when I cook, right? So mindfulness should begin at the moment of taking a shopping list, when the need for both healthy choices and rich indulgences must must be acknowledged. So, you know, the better, like like I said, when people go prepared to the store, this has been proven that. When you go to the store prepared with a list of a shopping list, even better with a meal list of what food you need to buy for the meal, you're going to be more, more successful. So the virtuous feeling inspired by healthful food can help reinforce good nutrition habits while the guilt experience while contemplating a treat might prompt crossing it off the list, right? So think about that. Focusing on food through preparation and mealtime can boost the sensory experience, which makes the effort more enjoyable and rewarding. And I would say that this is one of the things that like has helped me become feel more fulfilled because I'm like, man, I go to the store, I buy the foods based on the meals I'm going to eat, based on my, you know, the things that I, I want to avoid, then I make my meal, I feel reward. I feel good about it, right? Um, I've been able to 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 plug in an extra hour, 45 minutes to an hour of audiobooks and, and podcast listening while I'm cooking, which is something that I was, wasn't doing before. Um, another thing is that flavors stand out more to people who concentrate as they chew. When eating mindfully, dieters will enjoy their food more and be less likely to mindlessly consume unwanted calories, right? Powerful, very, very powerful. Like, and that's why, you know, some people go with that, with that habit when we're trying to instill that habit. And it's like, oh man, like this is a boring habit. It's like, no, no, no. Like this is, this is a habit that will make you very, very aware of what's going on. Um, another thing, the presentation, this is insight number five, the presentation and packing of foods impact how much food one eats. So dieters should consider how they plate food. And once again, I've, I've talked about this before, but this is important. Large plates tend to inspire large portions or make people who eat smaller portions feel deprived. Since snacked food is often directly from its packaging, container size matters for sweets and savory snacks like chips. A large bag of M&Ms can seem like a single portion to someone eating straight from the bag, whereas snack size of a bag of the same candy will seem like a portion to the person eating from that. So think about that. And they, they changed that. And I'll, I'll get to that in a second. Obama changed that about how you have to, uh, you know, do serving size and then like the whole bag as a serving and, and put up the calories and the, the macronutrients in there because people were very dece- deceived, right? And Wansink's research heavily influenced the rise of the popularity of 100, 100 calorie snack packs in the U.S., which surged around the time that, you know, uh, that book, Mind, Mind, uh, Mindless Eating was first published. So that was about 2007. You guys remember when it kind of blew up where every, I mean, you still have it now, but like there was a time where everything blew up with 100 calorie snacks, like packets, 100 calorie this, 100 calorie, I mean, everything was 100 pa- uh, calorie packets, right? Um, and, and that, like that shift generated more than 200 million, that packaging format generated more than 200 million uh, in sales uh, a year, right? Because it helped the consumers painlessly make better food choices. Now for manufacturers, the rewards were even greater since snack packs cost more per, per, per portion size than larger bags of the same snacks, right? So you can go regular bag was 500 calories and it cost, uh, I would say only, uh, I would say three times more than a hundred calorie pack, right? So now the manufacturer is making more money. Smart business decision, by the way. I'm not going to knock it. I'm not going to knock it, right? Uh, so food companies made more money on less product. Industry experts cited the trend as a corrective to the so-called supersized uh, era in fast food restaurants, right? So we know the food supersized era, and it's like it hasn't gone away. 
But that was kind of like swinging the pendulum the other way with the 100 calorie packs, right? And so on the other side of the snack, uh, on the snack size spectrum are medium sized packages of chips and other, other snack foods that are much larger than a single serving, but small enough to be consumed by one person in a single sitting. And that's when in 2016, Barack Obama changed federal regulations for food packaging so that consumers had a clearer sense of the number of calories that such um, snacks contain. So that was bringing awareness to like, hey, listen, like check what this whole bag has actually in calories, right? Because you're looking at the serving size going like, oh, serving size, 150 calories. I'm, I'm, I'm good. But really there was three serving size in there. And for a while that wasn't even, um, you, you wouldn't see the whole number for the whole pack being featured. Like here's the whole pack, how much it has in there in calories, right? So previously manufacturers skirted the issue by pretending that such packages contained three or four servings, even though that was not how the snacks were usually consumed, right? So the labels on pints of ice cream and large bottles of soft drinks now list nutritional, nutritional information, not just by the serving, but also by the package to enable more informed choices, which I think is important. And I, I do like, I, I like the fact that a lot of restaurants have had to start doing that. You know, you go to um, Cheesecake Factory and you're like, oh man, look, at, I'm going to have the salad, man. I'm going to have the salad, but eat healthier today. And the salad's 1,400 calories, which might be like, you know, close to the whole day of, of calories or half a day of calories for most people. But if you didn't see that, you'd be like, oh, I've, I've been eating healthy today. I had a, I had a salad, right? So the, once again, this is mindless eating. It's, it's, it's not being aware of it, which brings us to key insight number six. This is super powerful, Okay. Every household has a nutritional gatekeeper whose decisions influence what the rest of the family eats. If you are a parent listening to this, um, if you have kids, um, know that you are the gatekeeper and you influence everybody. So the way that you shop influences the health of your kids, uh, you know, significant other friends, if they're over, whatever it may be. And that is like, man, that should be a big kind of like wake up call, okay? The person in a household who buys groceries and prepares food is known in food psychology as a nutritional gatekeeper. The gatekeeper's choices tend to override the rest of the family preferences, right? So, so let's say like this is important because if you're someone like, hey, listen, I'm going to start eating different, but somebody else is shopping for your food and you're not doing it together, they're influencing how you're going to eat, like it or not, period, Right, and researchers have found that the gatekeeper directs some 70% or more of the foods the household eats, not just at the dinner, dinner table, but out in the world. The gatekeepers influence snacks and pack lunches, and, and studies suggest that their reach extends even to which dishes their family members order at restaurants, right? Because you start getting influenced by it all the time, and so now it's showing up in everything. Like you go to school, the school lunches are influenced by the gatekeeper's decisions at home, so, you know, what you eat at home and what you buy is going to influence what the kids eat at school. Um, and and this, this is interesting. So nutritional gatekeepers first became a subject of an intense scrutiny uh, during World War II when the American government needed to convince citizens to eat less meat. At that time, women performed a disproportionate amount of housework as compared to their male partners. Despite the imbalance, researchers mistakenly believed that women had little say in what they cooked and served their families. Even... The women themselves assumed that their husband and kids dictated which foods they added to their shopping list. But not true. As it turned out, women were almost always the nutritional gatekeepers, right? So this revelation was uncovered by anthropologist Margaret Mead. As a result, the government's meat alternative campaign began targeting wives and mothers with increased success. Still, obviously, look, in modern American households, parents aren't necessarily nutritional gatekeepers. 
Caregivers such as hired help or other family members like grandparents might be the people who direct the menus. It might be, um, it, it might be, I would say, uh, uh, you know, people watching your kids. Like it may be like, hey, it may be like, are they having two out of the three or four meals a day at school, right? So think about like who the nutritional gatekeeper is and think how to influence this. Like this is very important. This is such a huge insight because like underlyingly you may be, you know, I would say um, affecting and influencing your, you know, friends, family members, mothers, fathers, <laughs> you know, whoever like is, is I would say that gatekeeper to not eat well and not eat in line with their goals or, or even what you want for them. Like where you're like, hey, I just want, you know, I want little Timmy to be, to be healthier. But like you may be the person that's actually driving their decisions, you know, and, and I hate sometimes that might be like a, you know, slap in the face, but hey, that's the reality check. That's the reality check that you gotta, you gotta create that awareness to be like, man, am I the gatekeeper creating these decisions? And that on, a, on that spectrum, like how good is what I'm affecting? Like what, what I'm influencing? And you might be like, oh, it's not that bad. What well, man, it's, it's not that bad. Is that the best that you can do for your family? You know, and you might be like, man, what a shithead you are, Luca. No, like, you know what? I, I surround myself with people that bring reality to my to my life and go like, hey, dude, like you're not, you're not doing it. Like you say this, but this is your behavior. And that might be painful for me, but I want that reality check because I want to be a better person. I want to be a better friend, better brother, a better, better, you know, son. Right. I want to be a better leader. I want to be a better coach. I want to be a better, uh, I would say, you know, uh, I would say entrepreneur and, and, and business owner and affect everybody better. So guess what? Like I need that reality check, just like you may need this reality check right now. Right. If you're the gatekeeper, how on a scale of one to 10, you know, how are you influencing your family? OK, question for you. Like, be real with yourself. OK. Brings us to key insight number seven. We got a couple more to go. So comfort foods can provide a powerful boost in mood. I mean, I think that that's, you know, uh, something that most people uh, are like, yeah, I, I, I get that. But here's the, here's the kicker, right? Most people are familiar with the term comfort food, but there are many common misconceptions about what it is. Because comfort food aren't necessarily unhealthy dishes from childhood that we eat in times of distress. The food itself can be almost anything. And people indulge in comfort foods when they're happy or sad. So it could be like, hey, you know what? It could be a salad. Like it's how you re how you connect to what it meant to you when you were in childhood. You know, like I know for me, soup. I love soup because my grandma, like, you know, when I was cold, when I was this, when like I had a cold, like she'd always make me this delicious soup. She'd do all these different soups with veggies from her own garden that she picked, you know, with like local meat, this, that, the other. Uh, apple strudel, believe it or not, you know, she would make a bomb ass apple strudel with mushed apples that fell from the neighbor's tree. Um, and they were like, they were, they were whacked, but man, that tasted so good. I feel like it tasted better because they were all mushed on the street <laughs> than if they were like fresh from the store. But man, she made a mean ass uh, apple pie. But guess what? Those are comfort foods, right? But generally comfort foods are tied to the past. Researchers say that whatever people consider comfort food usually arises out of the foods they associate with social ties, which is why people so often rank traditional dishes like mashed potatoes and party staples like pizza as comfort foods, right? While one doesn't have to be lonely to crave comfort food, it's true that comfort food tends to make people feel less alone. That's, that's powerful, right? Even the smell of a comfort food can elicit a, a fond memory that can powerfully improve one's mood. Studies show that all factory centers are located in the same part of the human brain that processes emotions and memories 
which may be why smells have so much power to boost or in some case, uh, cases degrade one's mood, right? So you could degrade it. Like if you smell something that you ate in the past that made you throw up and sick and whatever, like you just smell that and automatically it's like, oh my God, I feel sick, right? Um, same thing, like you smell a cookie, maybe cookies are like, hey, you know, you cooked your, your uh, you, you made cookies with your mom and that was a special time, you know, spending time together with her and you, you felt loved and you felt at home and warm. And so that, like that smell entices that, right? Now, remember, like, here's what I'm going to tell, I'm going to say, guys, because this is important. How can you create new memories that like, now, of course, like the childhood memories are powerful because that's like your, your where, where, where the development, I would say, plasticity of your nervous system and what you remember is definitely stronger. But you know what? With your kids, what you can do is like, hey, make delicious smoothies that are healthy for them. And and, and then you're going to ingrain that or like make healthy meals that, that, that they connect to comfort food, right? Big difference. Like that's a big difference. So whenever like later on in life or even now, like when they go for something, they'll eat a different food because they'll get comfort from it. And that food will be actually aligned with their health versus the other way around, right? Because research suggests that while comfort foods vary from person to person, they fulfill the same purpose for everybody. Comfort foods offer familiarity, which can be soothing in any situation. Comfort foods can therefore minimize the disruption of a life change, including positive changes, such as getting married or having a child, right? With negative changes too, comfort food can offer psychological comfort through its associations with pleasant times in the past. Foods that are high in sugar offer the traditional short-term benefit of a temporary boost in energy. And so like, uh, you know, with, with sugar, some some research shows, and, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of pretty smart people about it, like, you know, when you're younger, what happens? I mean, first of all, you know, whether it's breast milk, right? Like you, you, you need food, you need uh, nu- nutrition, you're crying and you get breast milk, which has lactose, which is obviously milk sugar. But then like you fall, fall down and you're crying and, you know, parents give you a sweet, you know, a chocolate or some, you know, muffin or something. Um, you know, when you're down and you're like, oh, you got a bad grade. Hey, listen, I'll, I'll go, I'll take you to get some ice cream. Right. So that become we, we associate sugar with so much of that, like in our on our, on our developmental years that it can be attached to that. Um, you know, a snack or chocolate chip cookies likely get coated in the mind as a comfort food because the sugar and fat content creates a short lived sense of euphoria. Right. The mix of sugar and fat, like it's like it releases certain chemicals that make you go like, whoa, right. Euphoria in the brain. Um, so. But most people won't associate the energy crash that comes later in the afternoon with the cookies, even though the food caused that too. So it's important to know, like, you know, what you, you know, I, I've talked about halt, right? Which, which halt can come to, um, you can use it. So halt means hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. And it's something you should ask yourself, like when you, when you feel hungry, are you really hungry or are you angry, lonely, or tired? Because you might be lonely, you might be tired, and you're going to go for that comfort food to feel better. But it's really got nothing to do with your hunger right? But it's so ingrained. Uh, same thing goes with like anxiety, right? Uh, my anxiety, like, hey, am I, am I hungry? Maybe I need to eat. Am I angry? Am I lonely? Am I tired? Okay. Am I lonely? Maybe I go uh, call a friend, you know, connect with somebody. If I'm, if I'm tired, rest, do something that's going to regenerate you, meditate, you know, go for a walk, go for a massage. I mean, you know, do something, go for a smoothie, uh, maybe get a workout in, right? Like same thing, like do a short workout, you know, change your mood through changing norepinephrine and dopamine in your brain through getting some uh, some training in right but just show like it shows that comfort food can be a lot of different things and being aware of that can stop certain habits from uh from happening every day maybe every day you get tired after a meeting with the same people that piss you off 
And so you're tired. And so you go get a cookie or two. And like, I was just at my dentist. Um, and you know, for certain things that like, I, like I said, I was just mentioning, I got a crown, but like, uh, I did a webinar for my, um, cause it took longer than I thought. We didn't know what we had to do to a crown and we ended up doing a crown. So I was like, Hey, can't, you know, you mind if I do a webinar in your office? So I was able to do a webinar in his office. That's right next to the, like the, the, um, the team room. I looked in the team room and it's just like Cinnabons, cookies, all that stuff everywhere. Um, so that's the environment. So imagine you're like, you know, working in dental practice can be pretty stressful and you're stressed out. And it's like, you, man, you go to the team room and it's like on, on, a, on a, um, the table, you see a cookie, you see a, Cinna, a Cinnabon roll, right? You smell it. Oh, you get that. Oh man. Like that memory, that mood changes, boom, you eat it. Like you're happy for a while, but then you have a crash. You just added 500 calories to your day from sugar and fat. Right. Um, so, and, and that leads to like to finish off key insight number eight, a person who wants to lose weight should make three small modifications rather than attempting major diet changes, right? For most people, overhauling their diet is an overwhelming prospect and an unpleasant reality. Such change is a big undertaking that requires commitment and willpower. Instead of making major changes to eating habits, a more manageable prospect is to play with a mindless eating margin, right? But implementing three different methods to reduce 100 calories at a time, people can lose weight with very little effort. And like, there's a, like, there's a lot of ways to go about this. I wanted to bring this specific one up, but you know, I'll, I'll touch on this a little bit. Like there's many ways to be able to do that. Right. So if you looked at what you're doing right now, there's small things that you can do in three different parts of your day that will cut down three, four, 500 calories, six, 700 calories, depending on how much you're eating with a small shift that won't seem overwhelming. Right. Then that, that's one of the keys, right. For most people, like I said, look, everybody's different. Everybody's individual. We coach person, each person to to their individual lifestyle, habits, health history, mindsets, skill sets, right? Like all those different things. But for mo- many people, I would say most people, this is a great strategy. Uh, in 2017, researchers published a study that revealed that three specific behaviors will link to lower obesity rates. Eating slowly, eliminating nighttime snacks, and fasting for at least two hours before bed, right? Uh, none of those, like those in isolation, like could people go like, oh, well, you shouldn't eat two hours before bed. Like you can, but those definitely showed a difference, right? So once again, eating slowly, eliminating the nighttime snacks and fasting for at least two hours before bed, because those are a lot of the times that like, and a lot of the reasons that people like stack extra calories really fast. So these aren't necessarily the three variables that must be tweaked to change your mindless margin. Not at all, right? Different rules work for different people, but they're a good rule of thumb. The behavior is a low effort and high impact, which makes the process of implementing relatively effortless. Uh, of this 60,000 people, this was a 60,000 person study, only 7% self-identified as slow eaters. More than half thought they ate at a normal pace and the remainder considered themselves to be speed eaters. Data analysis revealed that the fast eaters were about 90% more likely to be obese than the medium paced eaters and 42% more likely to be obese than the slow eaters. Wow, that's that right? That that over in in sixty thousand people in the study, that's pretty damn significant. While the data didn't reveal the reasons why fast eaters were more obese, researchers speculated that relatively slow eaters consumed less food and were less likely to experience spikes in blood sugar that can slow metabolism. I would say more so, like I said, that the satiety factor kicks in as well. You know, I I don't know that might be something um, to do with it, but I would say that like you know, once again, I grew up in Slovenia and like I, we'd eat slower. And so you would get fuller because of that slower eating. Right. Um, 
the people who follow the other two rules, not snacking after dinner, not eating within two hours of bedtime, gained less weight over five years than the people who didn't follow the same rules. Again, researchers couldn't trace causation, but they speculated that people who eat too many calories at night don't have time to burn the calories off and the metabolism naturally slows when people are asleep. Uh, once again, I might, I might uh, fight the causation a little bit, but I think too that like, you know, at night you kind of get this uh, dive into that halt. Like you're, you know, are you hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? And most of the time you're tired or you're stressed out, you know, and, and that might be the anger and you mindlessly eat, you know, and you're, you're consuming highly palpable foods that have a lot of calories, um, but very little, you know, nutritional, nutritional value. Um, and, and I would say that's obviously a big part of the reason um, as well. But like I said, regardless, it just shows that those three changes made a big difference. And so, you know, with that said, uh, there's so much, you know, I, I love diving into the research of this because hopefully you guys, you know, from my experience of, of uh, I've connected those two because I wanted to show like the, the thing that Paleo IP did for me, apart from my belief, look, you know, uh, like I said, we'd be more than happy to answer questions in, in, a, in a, a future podcast about this, but about inflammatory foods and like how that's improving, which certainly I feel, I mean, a big, big difference, you know, um, like I said, you can drive you can drive down inflammation through a lot of different things, but I definitely think food is one of the one of the really really good ways to do it, you know. Um, but but on top of that, like I, I wanted to connect, uh, you know, going through this process for myself, like discovering things that I was mindlessly doing that I thought were good, like good enough, you know, or okay, but really they weren't. There's a whole, or maybe some things were good, but there's a, but there's there's great. I could be doing great and and making my life my health a lot better, uh, making my body feel a lot better, which is exactly what's happened. So, you know, I wanted to connect those two, even though, so I didn't, didn't want to do the whole, say, podcast about Paleo IP, but I'd be more than happy to answer questions around it um, and, and any other insights and lessons that I learned. But I wanted to connect the mindless part of how we eat because, uh, like I said, this experiment has just brought things to the forefront, just like the, a lot of the things that I mentioned will bring things to you for the forefront or bring, uh, you know, things to the forefront for your clients. If you're coaching, you're listening to this, uh, I was highly encourage you to do something like this with your, with your members, with your clients. Uh, not only will you build a lot more connection, you're going to learn a lot about yourself. You're going to get, become a better coach. And that's the reason why I do a lot of the things that I do. Like I'm always studying, but I'm always applying and doing it with people, whether it's in, you know, in training and doing the training myself, whether it's with nutrition and doing nutrition myself, um, always being open to stuff like, you know, like I said, we're sitting at breakfast, uh, you know, not that long ago. And it's uh, me and Danny Vega and Jay Frugian. We're talking about nutrition and food and all these different things and, you know, what's working for them. And like, if, you know, they might be doing things that I like don't necessarily even disagree agree with for myself, but just being very open, asking questions and going like, hmm, okay, I'm going to try that and see how it feels and see how hard it is to shift. And what am I learning? Maybe my insights are different than somebody else's. But I think that at the end of the day, this comes back to, you know, if you're truly a, a working to be a master of your craft, like it's just constant, like unsatiable curiosity uh, around every aspect of it. And I know like I don't, you know, uh, people said, hey, Luca, like, you know, I've heard people say that, like, you're you're incredibly good at coaching nutrition and, and helping with nutrition, but you don't talk about it as much. Um, and like I said, I, I constantly like the way that I do the podcast is like the thing that 
uh, that comes up and, and ends up being the, the thing I'm either excited about or something that I learned or, or something that I'm using. Um, so there, there is no, you know, if you think, uh, put it this way, there's so many things that I, I like to talk about that help people out and help business and coach uh, owners out and coaches out. Um, but like I said, like the more feedback I get guys, the more I'll do, uh, episodes on things like this, um, that, that may be helping you out. And, and like I said, you know, like to, to me, I'm a, I'm, I'm a true, I would say student of the game. Uh, like I, I'm just constantly learning, studying this stuff. Um, always open to it and, and, and never trying to be, you know, too smart. I answered, but one person said, hey, what would you, you know, do different if you went back and talked to your younger self? And I think I've done this well, but I'd be even, I'd be even dumber, meaning, uh, you know, just insatiable curiosity. I think I went through a phase where, and I think a lot of people do where I was like, oh man, I really know my shit. Um, and you know, I have the confidence to, to, to say like, Hey, I really know my stuff, but now I'm just like, yeah, but there's so much I don't know. Like I constantly keep that in mind. And I'm not stressed about it. I'm just curious about it. I just want to learn, you know, learn by, but like learn by doing, learn by applying, learn by coaching. And all my days are filled with that. You know, and I feel that's what speeds up my, my, my level of learning is working with so many different people in so many different realms from, you know, pro sport athletes. We're right now uh, coaching some, you know, guys from the Seahawks and uh, a strength and condition coach for, for the storm. And um, some, I would say some online clients that are higher level athletes, uh, from different realms, whether it's CrossFit, whether it's uh, basketball, like high-level professional basketball, uh, to you know, a lot of former athletes that are injured, getting you know beat up from uh, they're beat up from injuries, getting them back on track. Um, to general pop, to like you name it. Like I mean, I love it. I love it all. I'm just curious. I just want to you know help everybody and just learn as much as possible. So uh, you know, not to not to bore you to death with this last part, but. I always say thank you. Like, thank you so much, guys, for tuning in. Like, I really, really want to let you know how much I appreciate, you know, uh, this time that you tune in. You could be anywhere else listening to anything else. Um, and so I always appreciate, you know, a friendly review. Um, and, you know, if, if if you don't have time to do that, man, just go there, uh, give a five-star review, give an honest uh, five-star click on iTunes. Um, definitely helps grow it. Definitely helps spread the message. Uh, and I really, really appreciate that. Uh, with that said, hey, we're going to be back like in the coming weeks. Uh, I'm going to have Joel Jamison back again. If you guys got any questions uh, that you want to ask Joel, hey, shoot him. Uh, tell me like in the DMs on my Instagram at Luca Hosevar, um, at L-U-K-A-H-O-C-E-V-A-R. Uh, like I said, because we're going to dig into a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, as one of the people like, man, we hang out every single week. We train together, talk business, life, conditioning. Like I said, he's the number one guy on the planet for energy systems, for conditioning, for cardio. Um, and a lot of exciting stuff that he's going to want to share. Um, we're going we're to dive into a lot of different things. So if you got any questions for that, hey, please let me know. Uh, but like I said, leave that review. I really appreciate it. Guys, see you next time. Coach Luke is out.